On this week's episode of The Native Immigrants, we're joined by a very special guest, the musical genius that is Neeraj Jug. Listen in as he talks about his musical background, his forthcoming projects, scoring some ice cream and dropping some beats for the forthcoming Jojo B project. The Native Immigrants are in the building. Hit the music. Salutations and welcome to another episode of The Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hello. Big week in our household, Jojo B. It is indeed. New things happening up in here. Yeah. So you might have heard me complaining for months and months and months on end about not having a job. And Brentford did indeed get promoted to the Premier League. What a massive, massive week for us. You know what? Sometimes something's you like you wait for something for so long. It's been years and years. And you're like, is it gonna happen? Are we finally gonna get to a place of happiness within our, the four walls of our house? And then lo and behold, it actually happened. It like I, I can imagine the the joy just leaping out from my heart and from yours. You know, all across our room and our existence. But what a massive, massive look it was for us, Jojo B. What are you saying? Nothing, no, nothing to commend this on this momentous occasion. Nothing at all. So yeah, I got a job. <laughs> and also. Jojo, have you got a new job? Screw you. So you know what? It's been a screw you. It's been a it's been a massive, massive thing for us because you'd have heard since pretty much the dawn of this show, Jojo B's hardly worked at all. She's provided full care, full love for our little Baba, and provided us with an existence here in La Casa Barracuda. Yep. Season one, I was on literally on death's door. Yep. And then from season two onwards. Full-time mummy. Full-time mummy. Like, literally your worst nightmare if you'd ask you Wagwan in five yes. years' time, five and now, years ago. after officially one day's work, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm ready to go back to full-time I'm mummy. I'm done with this shit, fam. <laughs> I am tired. Yeah. I thought having a child was tiring, but having a child and a job is next level tiring. Exactly. Shout out to all the mums out there that are working full time and also oh raising their gosh. kids. I don't know how some women go back to work like after three months. In America, some women go back after like a day of ha after having a yep. child. Like it is crazy. Maternity leave is a special thing and very much needed. Yep. And uh, well done to this country for providing it. Yeah, um, shout to the Because UK. the Americans, they don't get it. Nope. Also, it's really hard going back to work. It's really hard. Uh, from from nothing for almost two and a half, coming up to three years, um, and then to all of a sudden start a brand new job out of nowhere. That's a pretty huge culture shock. Yes, it is. It's very much that. I can't even speak. <laughs> I can't even speak. That's how tired I am right now. But it would be a good thing. Yes, exactly. Um, 
and have a lovely team. Very good. Well, you should, you know, be that kind of standard bearer for this massive thing, you know, be an inspiration to the rest of these ladies out there who yes. are wanting to take the plunge. And how did you take the plunge, Jojo B, to commence your new job? You dyed your hair red. Yes, well, so it's shades of red and purple and pink. And green, purple and orange and blue. <laughs> There's what Bob's things all the time. He sings that. So yeah, you've got like you've come, that's the first time I've ever seen you with hair that red. Yeah. You know, that's some like yeah. red Sonia shit right there. It's I love it. I showed a picture to the the, the lady, the hairdresser lady, and mm. said I want my hair like this, all multicolored. Yeah. And she did it. Well, and it looks go. I love it. And I don't care what anyone else thinks of it to be fair. Um and yeah. Yeah, so we I'll share a pic on our social media handles in the next couple of days. So uh, you can all be the judge of this. Some of you may have already seen it on my social media. Yeah, exactly. For those people who are following Jojo B at Jojo underscore B mm-hmm. across all her social media handles would have seen this. Flame head. Flame head. There and it go. really looks like flames because it's all different colours. Yeah, it, it does, yeah. It's kind of like some like uh, but Jean Grey kind of dark phoenix. The main kind of thing. thing I wanted was the pink and I was too scared to go completely pink. Yeah. So we went shades of ready pink. Yeah. And now next time I'm ready to go full, full pink. There you go. But I love it. No, it's awesome. And it's uh, starting off a new chapter in Jojo B's life. New hair, new job. New man. New <laughs> <No>. man. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Whatever. He couldn't survive um, without me. Um, but, you know, it's been, yeah, it's been a, a big thing for us. It, it means that I don't have to provide the bills, pay all the bills. Now we just need to learn how to bills. how to juggle working full-time, both of us, and looking after and a small after child. a small child, yes. Uh, Who, momentously also, he had a momentous week. Mm. He had his first play date with yes, an actual did. real child. Yes, indeed, you know. Mingling with other kids yeah, as well at the same time. Yeah, first time in over a year that he's managed to play with another child. Exactly. Um, Someone the same height as him. And yeah, he had the best time ever. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it's um, It's know, been a momentous week. It's been a huge week. It's been a huge week for us here. And um, hopefully bigger and better things to come for us all round. I'll try and be more particular then. And uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clearly not that big And uh, yeah, it's how I feel right now. Like dot, dot, dot is basically what's happening in my brain right now. And uh, yeah, is like the height of Joji B <laughs> excitement. Like if you get it's like. It's and the, tiredness. To the point of which she's at our most happiness. And uh, yeah, is usually her um, response to dot, everything. Dot, dot. Tired. Tired, yes. Um, But on this week's show, we are joined by a very, very special guest on the second half. We only talk about legends here, and we are talking about a legend of the British Asian music scene, none other than musical maestro Neeraj Jug, friend of the show, uh, all-round great guy, is joining us as he talks about his musical journey, his background as well representation diversity the challenges of music making in film tv theater productions and future nearest jug as well like you know he's provided so many people with so many epic uh wedding first dance tunes and uh, yeah. like beautiful tracks that have been so synonymous with our community 
Uh, and we are very, very lucky to be joined by him. And you'll hear him kind of flip the script on us a little bit. Yes, in a certain way. Well, this, you know, it's a big thing because I've not heard any Neeraj Jug interviews. He hates interviewing. And so, because he loves us. Yeah, yeah. He, he literally only did this because it's the native immigrants. See, we are loved. We are trusted. We take care of our guests. Exactly. We make sure that you come into a loving environment and it's safe for you to open up and talk to us. When, when you when you are joined uh, by us on the native immigrants, you're not coming for an interview. You're coming for the experience. We are like, we are like, the Oprah. Wow. Of our community, you come to wow. us for an interview, but no, it's not an interview. It's like a therapy session. Yeah. It's like you can just tell us your deepest, darkest secrets, and it'll just stay between us and our listeners. And our listeners, yeah, they come in as someone, and they leave as someone better. Yeah, come talk to us. Yes. Tell us your secrets. Yeah, we are like a the red letter day of all podcasts. What? You remember red letter days? You know when you like buy an experience. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're getting that from us, bruv. We're the gift that keeps on giving. We're like that drive around Silverstone thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're like a, That's the we're only like thing a that they ever used three to have. Hot air balloon. It goes up, goes down. <laughs> what comes up must come down very quickly. Oh my god! That'll be three hundred pounds, please. <laughs> I've never got one of those. You know that. Like, many people paid us to interview them. Yeah, have no one ever, pays ever, us. Ever, we don't get paid shit. Listeners, have you ever got a red letter experience that you're genuinely really happy with? Like you look back and be like, wow, remember that red letter experience? I got one for you. I can't remember what it was, though. What? You didn't get a shit for Yeah, me. I did. Oh, I did. What? Oh, was it a red letter day, though? Was that for one of your exes, fam? No, it was when I took you me. to Anfield. Was that a red letter? Nah, that was just, they just, you can just book those, basically. I through. booked it through something, though. I don't think it'd be red letter day. I though. don't know, but I remember sending, like, direct email to Anfield going, you lot are amazing. Bruv, your whole life is one big red letter day because I've like taking you to so many of those kind of things. Not through red letters, obviously, but like to equivalent things on various do, other websites. I will I will give him props for this. He does always organize a lovely day out. Yeah, no, I'm all about that. Obviously I haven't been able to do that since we've been up since we've uh but been let's off not child. forget the <laughs> the weekend to Anfield. I will and not forget. And let's not forget the amazing 40th birthday trip to Santorini. Therefore. When I was on death's door, but still went and mm -hmm. took you there. Let's not forget all of the amazing holidays that I have um, organized. Yes, you paid half of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Santorini and like is at an Anfield door, both of me. Yeah. But uh, the rest. It was like such a long time ago. Yeah. But the rest, you know. I organize. Very I good, Georgia sure B. I will commend you for these. Um, I did excellent. consider becoming a travel agent at one point because I just was really good at booking holidays. You know, if you'd done that, we'd have been screwed because there's literally no travel agents around anywhere. I know. Else. Been, I'm really glad I didn't Back to unemployment. You'd have been gone full circle, basically. <laughs> full time mum. Here's Georgia B. I'll never be anything now. Um, so, yeah. The oh. <laughs> sad times. Time. But yes, we are joined by Neeraj Jug, who also provided the theme to you. <laughs> from Neeraj Jug to me being a travel agent. <laughs> <laughs> See where you take us, Neeraj Jug. Um, the, you know, the levels of digression. Um, but yeah, he, he provided the theme tune, obviously, 
on season two of the Native Immigrants. Yes, which was a massive did. look for us. So yeah, this and also as we do mention in our interview that we did actually get uh, uh, an original interview with him uh, last year, the year before. 2019, 2020. Um, but the audio was so horrendous that we couldn't actually air it. Um, um, and the audio on this one is, uh, it's it's slightly better. It's slightly better, you know, it, but, it's, it's, but uh, it's not up to our usual standards. No. You know, when you listen to the native immigrants, you know you're getting quality, fam. But we had equipment failure and so you'll have to deal with slightly less than slightly the usual less quality. quality. Be- still better than all other podcasts. But not up to our high standards, <laughs> you know. So still better than all other podcasts. Yeah, still better than every other podcast in the world, but not quite at our high standards, you know. <laughs> when, when we set this, above, including all the ones with loads of producers and loads of money, that's up to them, isn't it? But when it comes to that, <laughs> yeah, and a studio and a studio, I mean, what? Look at this one. We've got look at the studio set up right here. You know. Our dining table, which is now uh, both of our desks. Oh, yeah, exactly. Our working from home area. Our w- af- after a year of us, um, well, a, a year of him working from home, mm. because I got a job, we finally got some office chairs. Yes, we did. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, it wasn't really uncomfortable. I'm literally sitting on like a bloody, like... Uh, a wooden dining wooden chair. chair. yeah. Imagine sitting on that for a whole year. I'm surprised that like, my ass hasn't disintegrated. His <laughs> little bony ass. <laughs> <laughs> I will stick this bony ass in your face, mate, and make you kiss it. Um, but yeah, we've got some decent chairs now, thankfully. Um, and so our setup does look a little bit more professional than before. But thankfully, you don't need to see this because we're, we're doing this via podcast form. <laughs> and lucky for you, you don't need to see this because he's sat here. In my gunji. In, in my vest. In my banana. In vest and pants. I don't care, brother. I told you, right, when you married me. That when it comes to the summer, I only dress in banana pant. I don't banana. wear clothes. I've got him saying banana as well. Yeah, because I was thought I thought I'd find a way to you know like to be more you know integrated. Because Gunji, as you say it, yeah. is what we call a bald lady. Right, Gunji. I'm in. I'm in a bald lady. <laughs> exactly, which doesn't sound quite right, does it? I mean. If that tickles your fancy, <laughs> everyone's got their preferences, isn't it? I'm, well, in, I'm into kind of like the bald lady types. Well, yeah. I mean, good. There's nothing wrong with them, but I'd there rather isn't. you don't say that you're in one all the time. Really? So banana will do instead of ganji. You just need to like, you know, because now our vocab within, you know, our relationship should be like, you know, one language, you know, one one language to rule them all. Asan is so confused. <laughs> yeah, because I, I try to speak to him in Gujarati. You try to speak to him in like broken English, Punjabi, broken. Whatever. I speak to him in so, Punjabi and he's like, what? And so, you know. And then he has like the most London accent in the world. Yeah, Brad. He's a proper cockney though. I don't understand. Does what he sound, he doesn't even, it doesn't even sound like he's from West London. He sounds like he's from the East End and I don't understand how. Mm, yeah. It's a good look though. Is it? Yes, it is. I thought I'd do a... So, uh, yeah. So, uh, and yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Moving listen on. Listen <laughs> in to our amazing interview with Neeraj Jag on the second half of this show. What's happening in the first? What's been happening on TV? Well, a show that we started last week, which is an awesome show currently on Channel 4 and a great representation for our community as well. We are Lady Parts. 
is a funny little sitcom written and directed by Nida Manzoor. And it's a series that follows a British punk rock band consisted entirely of Muslim women. Yes. And it's amazing. It actually is. It is the kind of representation that Muslim women have never had on nope. TV. And, uh, you know, Asian women have never had on TV. It's just like an alternative view mm-hmm. of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. A more realistic view, probably, of who we are. Because some of the characters really remind me of people that I used to know. Yep. Uh, some of the more irritating ones make me really angry because they really, really remind me of people I used to know. Nice, nice. <laughs> But I just think it's brilliant. I just, I love it. I just, yeah, watch it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the whole series is currently streaming, but we thought we did the noble thing by watching it week by week. Yeah, it gives you something to look forward to every week. Yep. I'm kind of over binging. Well, I mean, I say I'm over binging. There's some things I will binge, but I quite like the idea of having something on a weekly basis. Yeah, maybe we I think we're just too old school, you know. I think like we're you know, we're living in an age now where we can literally watch everything right now all the time. Yes. And there's there's very few shows now that do the whole weekly thing um that are not readily available on a streaming site somewhere. Well, I mean, you can watch this every week or you can just watch it all on all four. Yeah, exactly. Um but I, you know, it's nice to have something to so let like, things breathe. Yeah, exactly. Let things kind of just like space themselves. I think out. that Friends reunion has really made me nostalgic for those years of when yes. you just had something like every Friday night, Channel Four, nine o'clock, Friends would be on. Yep. And it was just something that you would really kind of be looking forward to on a Friday night. Yeah, totally. And I want that back in my life. Yeah, it is. It's that it's anticipation and savoring something that's that's happening the following week, and it builds up and it builds up. Um, uh, you know, it's great to see things there and then, but I think sometimes, you know, we sound so old right now. Honestly, why don't we go listen to like our cassette tapes and uh, put a VHS on? As a as a counter to that, I can't even speak. As, as a, a counter to that, <laughs> I didn't see the c word. I said as a counter. Can you hear what she's calling you people. Wow, wow. Up. As if I would. Fucked up. As a counter to that, the things that I have binge watched recently, yes, <laughs> well, that with be. more representation mm-hmm. on BBC Three, which is now solely online on iPlayer. Yep. Um, there is a series called Starstruck. Yes, indeed. Uh, it was written by a lady, a comedian lady called Rose Matafeo. Lovely. And it stars the one and only Nikesh Patel. Look at this. Who and he's like. The love interest. So is, is he is he in it to play an Asian character? Or so is he... I don't think the character was written Asian because there is no reference to his Asianness right. really made. Right. Um, his name is Tom Kapoor. Tom Kapoor. So I feel like they might have just changed. He might have been like a Tom Cooper. Tom, yeah. <laughs> and then they changed it to Kapoor because they cast him. Right. Who knows? But uh, his Asianness doesn't really matter. He's just a person yeah. who is the love interest. And he's very good at it. And... I would highly recommend if you like a kind of fun, light-hearted rom-commy type sitcom. Yeah. Then watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's very, very good, and nice. it's set in London. It made me really nostalgic for like just wandering around London. So it's kind of like a, like on a Fleabag kind of style comedy. Yeah, but less kind of intense. You know how that had like some kind of dramatic, slightly Undertone. weird moments. Yeah. This is a bit more straight-laced. Nice comedy. Okay. Uh, quite tongue-in-cheek. 
uh, Rose Matafeo is New Zealander, so she has that dry sense of humour. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, very, very good. I highly recommend that. I did binge watch that. Um, and I've also, this is not strictly British, but it has some representation from a place that I, you know, I was quite surprised, especially because of the, the actual storyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a programme called Ragnarok right. on Netflix, which has just released its second season. Mm-hmm. And there, and it's based around, so it's got nothing to do with Marvel. It's based around the Norse mythology right. um, of Thor and Loki and Odin and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, a, it's about the battle between the giants and the gods, mm-hmm. um, which was Ragnarok um, in Norse mythology. And there is a character called Iman. Okay. And she is, so in in this in the story, she is um a, she's Norwegian, but she was originally adopted from Sri Lanka. Okay. Yeah, and and I was just like really surprised that this was that you know, and it's set in a really small town yeah, in Norway, crazy. and it's just and she's one of the main characters, and it's brilliant that there is some representation happening in Norway as well. No way, us man's get around is yeah. all I can say. You know, from all the way from Nor- Nordic mythology. Yes. All the way to uh, London streets. Yep. You know, via uh, so a British have, punk rock band. We have been campaigning for on-screen representation. Yes. And we have been talking about this from season one. And here we are seeing it now. Yes. The fruits of our labour. fruits of our labour, exactly. <laughs> we asked for it. They delivered. Thank you to listening to our show. Uh, and enabling that to happen. I'm hoping that there's still more representation happening behind the scenes as well, and that, you know, it's being mirrored behind the scenes as well as on screen, um, because that's when the change will be truly kind of true, and it will be truly true. It will will be truly (laughs) true, and it will be really real. And it can can finally final. (laughs) (laughs) And they can be goody good. I mean, like, truly cemented. Like, that's when it becomes a definite thing. Like, it's a permanent thing. Permanent, that's the word I was thinking of. It can be definitely definite. (laughs) (laughs) I just had my first day at work. And now you want me to speak. It's been firstly first. I've been doing so much admin HR stuff. Learning. Learning de learn. But like, Piss off. <laughs> anyway, so the things that we should watch this week: Lady Parts. We are Lady Parts. Yes. Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek. <laughs> star Trekking across the universe. I think I'm up. I think I'm up. Okay, I'm going to start again. We are Lady Parts on Channel Four Boom. slash All Four. Boom. Star Trek. Boom. On BBC Three, which is on iPlayer. Boom. And Ragnarok. Boom. Because I just need someone to talk to about it. Boom. Um, on Netflix. Yes. And also a show that we spoke about in the very first uh, episode of season one. Well, the second episode when we talked about the uh, representation for our communities on TV is Master of None, Aziz Ansari's project. Oh, yeah, that's back as well. And that is also back. And that's currently on Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Netflix. This is contagious. Contagiously contagious. Uh, and it's um, streaming right now as well. So look, oodles and oodles of TV involving members of our community. And so please go out and support these awesome projects. Right. Well, that is it from the first half of this show. We're back on the other side. We'll be talking to the musical genius that is... 
Neeraj Jug. See you on the other side, people. second half of the native immigrants i'm swami barakas and i'm jojo b and as always only legends here on the native immigrants obviously only the best only the best of the best the creme de la creme the ones that rise to the top men you know and we've got one of those creams right here on our show <laughs> one of those creams one of those creams the thing is okay so i could i could say okay so you know fans of this artist will listen and be like that's just blasphemous how dare you speak to my my icon like this call him a cream we're calling him a cream yeah but you know but we left it just to set the stall out from the offset all right this is a brethren of ours as well at the same time this is a, a close friend yes. of the native immigrants so yeah. there will be parts of this conversation where we might speak to him in a derogatory way that's not to say or to uh, you know desecrate him as an artist we're not being disrespectful no but we are also just re-emphasizing the fact that he's a friend of ours we're having jokes. We're having jokes, blood. But also, we've got to also emphasize the fact that he is a genius. Yes. You know, and he's provided us with some of the most epic tracks of the last 15 to 20 years within the British Asian music scene. And following on from the trend in my life, I was a fan before I was a friend. Okay. Yeah, just like... Well, I was like uh, me, like me. I was going to say, like I you, know you were a Swami really Rakas fan. I wasn't really a fan of you. You were a Swami fan. Much, it's so. fine, man. Do you know what I mean? Like what I give back to my people is honestly second to none. Um, but but uh, this gentleman has done the noble <laughs> thing by taking your friendship under his tutelage, and um, and his music, as I said, is exemplary. When we talk about albums like Along the Dusty Road and The Lost Souls, they're two very seminal albums within the British Asian music scene. Yeah. Um, you know, tracks like Quab and yeah. Bangles, like with Nomad. We can like we can go on and on and on. But we're not gonna toot his horn too much because this guest mm -hmm. will toot his own. <laughs> when I say we are delighted to be joined by the amazing Neeraj Jug. How's it going, Neeraj? It's very good. Thank you for having me in all my creamy goodness. You know, well, like I said, <laughs> you know, you can, um, there's probably that, the mental image. The mental image, yeah, exactly. I can imagine these things now being sold in like, you know, VBS funds <laughs> and doing creamy goodness by, <laughs> maybe that's a good way of kind of, you know, pushing your next like, musical project and stuff. You can have like a free little sample of, um, name of the next album. Name of the next album, The Creamy Goodness. <laughs> the Creamy Goodness. It's, it's a wow. great title, isn't it? That's a, that's <laughs> in all, in all my creamy goodness. <laughs> Honestly, like, you know, the thing is, but people people don't realize Jojo B has like the mind, like her mind is constantly in the gutter. And when she pulls out these little things every now and then, how is Malai gutter? I mean, the the, the visually think <laughs> about Malai and what we're talking about here. All right, and it's it. I'm sorry, no. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna nip this in the bud right now. Okay, just, we have to conduct ourselves professionally. Keep lie to yourself. Yeah, keep, let's keep this professional now. Go. Come on, Jojo, come out the gutter. 
Thank you very much. Join us here. Join us here. To me, bro. So if you're gonna do it for me, <laughs> as if I'm gonna listen to Nirage. <laughs> I know exactly. I know this is the thing. In, in any other time, if we didn't know this guy as we do, then this would have been a very a different conversation. But it's your it's a, it's your own misery the fact that you know us the way you do, Nirage. <laughs> it's um, it's where we we, we can we can all be the feral animals that we truly are. We truly are exactly <laughs> exactly, and we're only going backwards on Darwin's scale as well. We're not even evolving at the same time. Um, but now, devolving, I, devolving, devolving, exactly, devolving, yeah, yeah devolving. That's right. That's the aim. That's the aim of this show. Devolving my life. De- devolving my life. <laughs> So we've got the name of the episode there. <laughs> already done. Um, now, we've actually already conducted an interview with Neeraj for the Native Immigrants. Yes, we have. But unfortunately, it's gonna, that was lost in the annals of time <laughs> because of the very, very poor audio quality of this first interview. Yeah. So um, I, I felt like I always needed to get Neeraj back on to deliver the justice that he deserves. Uh, not only as an artist, but also as a human being and as a representative of our community uh, here in the UK. As a native immigrant. As a native immigrant of ours here in the UK. We uh, spoke at the uh, production, well, the premiere production of Mushi uh, from the Rifko Arts by our good friend Amit Jana, who we also spoke to on episode 68 of last season. But we're going to talk about that further on in this conversation. What we want to talk about right now, though, is Neeraj Jug. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background, Neeraj? What was it like growing up in 80s Britain for you as a South Asian? Uh, I, I grew up in uh, Southampton on the South Coast, uh, which is, I, I mean, I really liked it. I, you know, I grew up in um, a dodgy part of the, part of the city, uh, probably the dodgiest part of the city. Uh, but there was a it was, it was a real community spirit. It was very um, kind of all the ethnic minorities lived in one one area, uh, which kind of racist. Basically, the name of it was quite racist. And people people used to call it the jungle, um, wow. and it was wow. like this this area was like um, you know it was uh, the red light district. It was a drug area. It was uh, all the you know the Asians the. Um, all the minorities were there, congregated, um, and it was rough. But I, I had an amazing time there because it was like um, you know the whole community was there, so everybody looked out for everybody. So I'd be out, kind of you know, from from as a kid, I'd be out on my bike, just just have, going on adventures, you know, until I was hungry. Then I'd come home and eat. Hmm. So growing up in Southampton, uh, I I kind of sort of. Uh, reminisce about it in in you know really in a really fond way, uh, yeah. So like, when did you um, eventually make the move? I guess to to London, um, and how much did that change your um, outlook on life? Because now you're you're surrounded by loads of Asians, and the community is so much more like you know diverse in a way. Yeah, I mean, I moved to London in '96 when I came here, uh, kind of ostensibly to go to uni really um but i didn't i didn't really care about that i i just wanted to get into music mm. um so you know inside empton i i uh, kind of embarked on a whole bunch of things to kind of which really built built up my interest in music so i kind of got into technology i got into sampling sequencing at a really early age um 
and then um, I started doing work experience in local studios and I, I'd been doing loads of stuff. And then uh, my brother said, look, there's nothing in Southampton that can kind of, you know, further you in this. You really got to go to London. That's where the industry is. And I really didn't want to go to London. I kind of, I'd spent my whole life in Southampton. I thought I'd be there my whole life. I didn't think I'd ever move out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved to London in 96 and I hated it. Absolutely hated London. Um, but as soon as I got here, I was basically out s- sending demo tapes to record companies. Uh, yeah, my uni attendance was kind of abysmal. It was bare minimum. But <laughs> within, within a year, I got a record deal. Oh, wow. With um, Outcast Records. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the first thing that actually, that was one of the first things that gave me some sort of um, confidence in one sense. Because up until then, it was basically me and a few other things that happened before then to, to, you know, a few tracks I had signed. But I didn't have kind of a lot of things to say, you know, am I good enough in this? Um, So that was one of the things that really, or, you know, maybe I've, I've got something here that I can develop and, you know, maybe this can go somewhere as a career path. And uh, what was your family's career, uh, reaction to that career choice? Like, decided really, not to do uni and go down the music path instead? Um, it was kind of conflicted um, because my dad's massively into music. Uh, there's no musicians in our family, really. Uh, my brother had, was in a band in the 80s. Uh, and that's how I got into music. But then, you know, there's no, there's no other really. I, I don't know any other artists in our in our whole extended family even. Um, uh, so me and my brother are both artists. So we're kind of uh, black sheep in that sense. Uh, but basically, they they were like um, my dad was really into it. I mean, he you know even kind of in the early nineties, he, he after years of nagging and he bought me a synthesizer that I you know I really wanted, and that's how I was able to kind of realized my ideas and then he two years later he bought me a sampler which i was able to then so he supported me but then he never supported it envisaging it to be a career it was like i'm just you know into music so i, I had to spend a lot of my time just making bollywood tracks for his pleasure which i really hated because <laughs> <laughs> nice. he also happens to have the worst taste in music so yeah it, was, it wasn't even good bollywood tracks it was awful music like what? Uh, yeah, so you, you've opened up a can of worms now. You need to tell us what are we talking about here. God, um, I mean, like he's into really happy tracks. They're like, like um, what, what's one of them? Like, you know that track, Papa, get there. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You, you, no, you can't come on here. and, and You can't come on here and this Papa, get there. From oh, come on, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's an iconic track, but it... it you try and recreate that track. It's 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 not a fun fun process. I give you that much. But I mean that was that was one of the better of the ones. I mean some of them are so obscure that they're just like nobody else knows them. Um, they're, they're really awful tracks. But I had to basically do that, and it was kind of useful because it, it, early on it gave me an idea of how to um, dissect a piece of music. How do you break it down into its components? Because I had to recreate it for him. Because he goes, look, I'll, I'll get you this this bit of kit if if you do this for me. So I was at his servitude for, for years after that to do these kind of Bollywood cover versions. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, but did they never saw it as a career path? Uh, they were they were really kind of worried about it kind of going anywhere. Rightfully so, because it's not the, it is a precarious <laughs> career choice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but 
but you know, uh, they weren't. I wouldn't say they objected to it. They were just really nervous about it. So, um, so in terms of the music itself, what what was the what were your initial like influences in terms of the direction that you wanted to head in musically? Like you said, you got signed to Outcast and um, you know to embark your journey. But what were the guy? Who were the guys that inspired you to to take up those choices? Um, I think that. Well, in terms of musical inspirations or the people yeah. in my life, do you mean? Oh, it could be, could be either. You tell me. I mean, the, the things that got me into music was really because my brother got into it. Um, and he, I think, got into it to get girls, really. Yeah, <laughs> 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 you know? uh, actually, I think that was his motivation. He got into it for that. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I stupidly then just followed him. Actually, for, with, with, you know, with the intent to get into it for music. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not realizing that actually there's, there's, there's some other added up, yeah, kind of benefits here. Um, but yeah, he, he got into it and that's how I got into it. And, you know, I was in his band um, when I was probably about 12 years old and I had the smallest job in the band. So I had, my job was um, to turn the drum machine on and then maybe have press a fill-in. <laughs> like, yeah, there's, there's a fill-in button which does a little fill-in and then you press stop. That was my job. And Real it scared the hell out of me. I was, it made me so nervous. But, but yeah, that, I, I was doing the least amount in the band. I was the youngest person in the band. But, but I think I'm the only one now kind of doing anything kind of professionally in music. <laughs> Funnily enough. Um, like, okay, so I want to ask a question completely, not left field, but the first time I really heard about Neeraj Jug was the Dum Dum Project. And that's because I'm a big hip hop fan. And it was like, wow, I'm, I'm hearing now South Asians um, in the UK making hip hop music and South Asians in the States collaborating with them as well at the same time. How did you get initially involved in that project? Um, so the guy who started... Um the Dum Dum Project in New York is a guy called Sean Dinsmore, Sean Cavo Dinsmore. Um, and he, he was putting out kind of uh, sort of fusion, chill out, yoga, yoga-esque kind of music um, using mantras and things like that. And he had just moved to London and signed a deal here to a label. And uh, he basically, at the time, I was doing quite a bit of garage music um okay no way yeah for yeah for i did a few mixes for relentless records i did a, a moni love track and a few other remixes and bits and bobs I, have an, I need to we need to find these somewhere yeah no i, I had so i had a you know, fair few vinyl releases uh doing, doing garage stuff um oh, all right we have to listen so, to those next time next time um we pop around um, but basically, they, they were looking. This was, yeah, at the peak of peak of kind of UK garage, and um, they were looking for a remix for for the Dum Dum project. And I was, they, he contacted me, and I, I just was like, I, I didn't really, I didn't, I hadn't heard of the Dum Dum project, so I didn't take it very seriously. And I was quite a hardcore negotiator. I said, I want this much money for this remix. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, if you, if you don't pay it, I'm not doing it. I, I became this kind of diva. Uh, <coughs> Diva, diva, yeah, pretty much. Proper diva. <laughs> and they, they, kind of, they said, all right. 
<laughs> I mean, it was literally like, yeah, I think what had happened was I had been, by that time, I'd been screwed around by so many labels and publishing companies and management companies. And, mm. and this is a perennial thing. This continued for years to, you know, years kind of going forward as well. And I became very cynical and I became quite a, a, a ruthless sort of negotiator. Or at least, you know, I would be cautious about things. But yeah. they were they were really cool and they you know, I, I really got on with Sean and you know, I did this remix for him and then he just said, Look, what, you know, do you wanna join do you wanna join my band? <laughs> and I was like Um All right, uh, let's give it a shot. And then we just we just had so much fun working on it. Um and he was kind of transitioning into a more uh kind of hip hop hip hop inspired sound. And we had a rapper from New York uh joining the band. And it was sort of transitioning into this, this, this sound. One Shanti. And, yeah, the one Shanti, exactly. And, um, yeah, it just kind of became this really exciting, special time. Uh, and, yeah, we, we, went, we kind of traveled the world with it. We, we had two top 10 hits in Thailand, of all places. Which very weird. <laughs> wow, that's a claim. Um, that is, <laughs> that's, that's one of those things, isn't it? Um, but yeah, uh, you know, so it, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with it. And, um, you know, we just had a lot of fun making music. So, yeah, we, we were recording out in China, in Thailand. We went all over, basically all over the place. Uh, and yeah, that's how it kind of the whole thing came about. So you sound like you've had, like, you've done loads of stuff. You've done lots of different genres of music. You've had a lot of diversity in your career. And you've, you've also worked across, like, loads of different mediums as well. So you've done radio, for, music for radio, but you've done music for film and for TV and for theatre as well. What do you mm. think has been the most challenging discipline for you as an artist from the South Asian community? I find um, I find it all bloody challenging, to be honest. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's actually the the thing with composing is the challenge is always communication because everybody has a different way to communicate an idea because music is something that's so kind of it's quite abstract in that sense. You know, like what makes you feel happy will be different to what makes somebody else feel happy or sad or melancholy or whatever so you know sometimes I'll, I'll get really crazy um kind of briefs you know basically like i mean for example one time um i was doing i was doing a documentary a four-part documentary for the beeb about food and um one of the directors he basically um we, we, i was scoring this whole segment about ice cream so I have to, yeah, I have to basically kind of realize what he wants to wants people to feel in this segment about ice cream. And I just said, look, what, yeah, it, it, I was on at the fourth revision of this scene. And it was this epic scene he wanted. He, he did this big filmic cinematic thing with it. And I just said, look, what do you want? Because you know we're on the fourth revision. Well, I said, look, let's let's look at it a different way. What do you want the audience to feel when you when you when they watch this um, this, this segment? And he just went into this trance, like thinking. He's, and he went silent for about literally a minute into a trance. And then he looked at me and he just said, hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so then that's, I have to take I that note and basically make you know, a piece of music that will make the audience feel hungry. 
And some people will say, yeah, I want people to feel red or I want somebody to feel, you know, I want the audience to feel this way or I want to feel like this. Or, so you, you get a multitude of different um, ways of communicating a musical idea. Mm. And I have to basically translate that into how it works in a musical form. Um, and that's across the board. It's, everything has its own challenges. Theatre has a different challenge too. TV to radio to you know to film everything has a different challenge, but this is a challenge that is is across the board um, with all of them. Um, Do you get commissions like that? Are they expecting you to give them an Asian sound, or will do you get more of a kind of a mainstream brief? It depends on the project. If it's a, if it's an Asian project, then there will be some sort of you know Asianness to it. Uh, like you know, I've done programs like the food program there wasn't um it was like just food from you know i did like the italian kind of scenes in italy about italian food mexican food um just you know right across the board well, I, I did a series about the continents which is what you know, about how the continents formed um so i've done it like you know it could be something which has nothing to do with um kind of asianness and some things are entirely to do with asianness and a lot of things are in between. So, like, I, we said at the start of the interview that last season, our episode 68 was about Asians in theatre, uh, where we spoke to Amit Channa, who was the Associate Director at Rifko Arts. Now, you work together, as I said, on his last production, Muchi, which was a great show, which I was very fortunate to see. Um, now, on this particular show, he spoke about the lack of representation still for Asians in theatre, especially in the West End. Hence, they had to create their own through their own productions at Rifko. Now, you've worked on a number of different productions uh, across both sides, the West End included. What's been your experience like with not only the opportunities for Asians in theatre, but also for representation for our community in general? I mean, from my experience, which is what what you get is um with asian productions or or you know mainstream theaters doing asian productions uh a consistent experience i've had is okay this is this is an asian production and when when i arrive there so often like all when you're in a rehearsal room all the actors are on one side obviously you know that's the stage that they're rehearsing on you know that's with, with a kind of the representation of the stage and all the creative uh, the creative team and the kind of production people are on, on the other side, you know, the, the sound designers, the lighting, the costume, the set design, the director, you know, producers, all of that is on one side. Um, and the composer, obviously. Uh, what I've always found in, the, in those productions is I'm usually the, uh, the only or uh, of a handful of Asian people on that side. There's a lot less people on, behind, behind the scenes that are Asian, even on Asian productions. Right. Then there are, you know, obviously it's kind of you know based in India or it's based about it's on the Asian experience. So all the actors are usually Asian, but on the other side, it's very much a different, a different kind of uh, thing altogether. Like we're at an age now, at twenty twenty one, where we're still lacking that that representation for not only our stories, but you know, for stories within our communities as well. And um, what what do you feel needs to change in order to to balance the equilibrium almost in a way. We're such a prominent part of the overall UK community, but we're still 
underrepresented, not only in theatre, but on film, TV, and even in music across the mainstream. What do you mm. feel, basically, that needs to change? I mean, I think that, like, I think there, there, there are kind of, I think one of the issues, actually, and it's, this is a contentious kind of point, I think within the Asian community, there is still this idea that arts is not a full-time job. Mm. Um, I don't think you have this as much in, in the black community. You know, uh, there is still this sense in, in the Asian community where, no, yeah, even if you're going to go into arts, have a, sta a stability, you know, have a, a, a proper job as well. Ha go do a degree, become a dentist. And then, yeah, then you got a, st a stable job and then go into the arts. But the problem with that is you lose time by doing a dent, you know, a, a whatever a dentistry or, or doctor degree or whatever it is, medicine, you lose time and you become, you, you're not as good as the competitors that are not Asian in, in a lot of this because of that. Um, secondly, you have a safety net. What you're saying is I'm going to do this because um, if I, if I have a safety net, I can afford to fail. Mm. You know, if, if I, if it doesn't work out, yeah, it's fine. I'll go back to my day job. Um, I think that there, there's a lot of things that, um, within the community itself that doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take art seriously. Um, I mean, I, 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 I remember I, I, about five years ago, I was at a, actually, I think it was a funeral. Um, it, uh, somebody in Southampton and my school teacher, my middle school teacher, I bumped, I bumped into her and both of her kids are like, um, Oxford or Cambridge, they're doctors and, you know, uh, kind of high flying city, uh, they got proper, proper city jobs or whatever. And she said, Oh, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm a musician. Is ah oh, yeah, like 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 the whole face is like ah oh, you know yeah. Um, are, you, are you busking at King's Cross or something? Basically, and she she goes oh you know there's not much money in it, but yeah as long as you're happy. And this <laughs> is I I hadn't seen this teacher in like twenty five thirty years, and that was what <laughs> it was like yeah, uh, and and you know she was like um an Asian teacher, uh, she was a Gujarati teacher actually at um at the school. But yeah, it was basically it was like um, yeah, that that's the kind of mentality I think we have in in the Asian community. Um, you know, it, it's I get where it comes from, but I think it really holds holds people back. Right. So you've like had such a long and distinguished career, um, you know, over the last fifteen to twenty years. But what have your been your personal highlights in that time? Um, I think there's been a lot. There's been a lot. I mean, you know, for my uh, first signing, getting a, a, a for my first ever record out, which was a drum and bass record called The Firefly on a, a 3MV compilation. Um, that was around 95, 90, early 96. Signing to Outcast. Um, and then for kind of, Many years, I was, I was, um, yeah, I was just like a, an artist on Outcast. That was a lot of fun. Dum mm. uh, Dum Project was fun. Then, I was, then after Dum Dum Project, I became a pop producer. I was signed to Warner's. Uh, Mark Hill, uh, who was a friend from Southampton, I actually when I mentioned I did work experience in studios. That was one of the studios I did work experience in. Mark Hill turned out to be um, he, he was an artful dodger, 
and he produced that first Craig David record. Yes, uh, yes, want to do indeed. it. Um, so he he signed me to his um to his uh, publishing company, and for you know many years I was just doing pop production, uh, which is you know amazing. Look, because I was I was there learning from from Mark how to have pop is made. You know, how do you make how do you comp vocals? How do you do the you know how do you do um, how do you mix these tracks? So how do you mix these tracks? Um, uh, yeah. So basically, you know, that was that was uh, that was interesting. And then going into scoring, because I, I have you know I have no um, musical training, so I'm totally self-taught. And to be able to do documentaries for the Beeb, you know, that's who does who does better documentaries than the Beeb? Yeah. I'm working. I'm doing things for the you know the the, the best of the best in the world. Um, so, you know, just being able to work with excellent people, even in theatre, you know, to work with the Royal Shakespeare Company, to work with the Royal National Theatre, uh, with Shakespeare's Globe, you know, I, it's like, these are, these are, um, theatres that are excellent. And that's been probably my highlight, highlight as, as a kind of a synopsis of it is being able to work with excellent people and excellent organisations. But you are also an excellent person yourself, you know, so, you know, you fit right into that category, my bro. Oh, you flatter me. I know. Every now and then. I've You're got... a sweetheart, you are. You're a sweetheart. We have to, I have to comfort the ego every now and then and stuff to ensure that we get the best. Yeah, just, just stick that in every so often. I like it. Just put those in. Put those, yes. You've already said you're a diva from the offset. So if, it's <laughs> like, if we don't just like, you know, start to massage that uh, huge ego, uh, you know, every now and then, then... You know, we won't be doing our, our jobs as broadcast journalists. You two are a proper bromance anyway. Well, it's true. It's true. It's the best of parts. But Nuris has been chasing me for like a number of years, isn't it? So eventually I had to relent and give him what he wants. You know? Yeah, I, I've, been, I've been on the hunt. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, all right. So digressing from the love that we share outside of, our, outside of this podcast. Now, there's been so many countless, like in terms of, the songs within the albums and then the scores and then, you know, documentary pieces like you've just said and theatrical pieces. Is there any one particular, whether it's a song or whether it's a production that you feel is the most like personal that is nearest jug, you know, cause you've obviously applied yourself in so many different mediums, which has been your most personal, personal project? I, I can't, um, if I, I mean, of all the things I do, the most personal projects are my albums. Um, a particular song from there, which you have, have the most, in terms of like, that's very closely connected to your heart. <sighs> tough one, tough. I, I like to give the tough one. Choosing your favorite baby. Yeah, but still, yeah, I, you know, like I, you know, I can say, you know, Liverpool, my favorite team, or something. Or I, I tell you, I, okay, I tell you. Uh, let yeah. me, let me, let me do it. Let me let me flip it because that's like you asked me a question that can't Ooh, okay. really be answered. Oh wow! Um, oh wow! So I'm going to flip your question. Um, that, that's a dramatic answer. <laughs> so I'm not going to pick the track. I'm not going to say this is my the, the track that you know necessarily is my favorite or resonates in that same way as it once did. Anyway, um, but Bangles was a significant moment for me when I did it yeah, because 100%. when I when I did Bangles. That was there was like a, a, a light bulb went off in my head, and I was like, "This is, this is the feeling I want my not that you know what I had produced in terms of what it was musically, but this is the feeling I want people to feel when they hear my music." 
Wow. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, like that, then Quab and kind of all these other tracks came out um, kind of after that, really. But, but that was like, you know, like something kind of lit, lit up in my head. I was like, yeah, this makes me feel something that yeah. I want other people. I, I hope at least it makes other people feel a similar thing. Um, and that was kind of the journey, my kind of my solo album journey, I guess, as a starting point. Yeah, it's a, it's a track that definitely hits you in the feels. It really does. Mm. Um, so you've talked about all your kind of highlights and all that stuff that you've done in the past, but what does the future hold? For Neeraj Junk. Well, we're, we're in the pandemic, so it's probably unemployment. <laughs> this means you've got all this time in your studio and create. And create and more just, gems. Yeah, and just do what you like. So No, I'm, I'm, I'm having an amazing time because... Um, this is the first time I've had I've had a year to uh, explore ideas that I really wanted to explore. I mean, I've been lucky because even through the, this this period, there's been sort of sort of projects happening and things, you know, things kind of moving forward. For, for or, or yeah, projects that I was working on have been dele- delayed for 2022. So, you know, like I've been kind of busy throughout, but. I've had I've had time to kind of come come back and look at what I want to do and how I want to work and um, the kind of music I want to put out um, and I've been developing this you know this kind of uh, alternative sound to what my what, what I'm known for anyway uh, under the pseudonym Rich Ganja so that's kind of a whole whole different thing where I'm able to explore other other ideas and experiment in a different way and from you know from, from my own stuff. Um, I'm, I'm just basically putting out singles and just having having fun, really. Just putting putting tracks out every every couple of months, and just um, seeing what happens. You know, with with no expectation whatsoever, which is really really amazing to be able to do that. Um, because the thing is, when you do an album, and it takes me a long time to do an album. Like my last album, Mud Doll, took me seven years to finish. Because I'm I'm doing it in between projects. I'm composing all all the time for multiple pro- projects, and then yeah, at the end of the day, I'm oh, I've got to go and do my own album. So it's like it's an addition to um, you know other composition projects. Uh, but with singles, I'm able to just kind of focus and put put a track together and just put it out, put a track out. You know, so it's been really liberating in that sense right now i'm really enjoying that process of just putting out one track putting focusing all my energy on it and then thinking about what i'm going to do next so can we then expect uh, a rich ganja garage album which is what i'm asking right now well, well rich ganja isn't really garage um just for us just for, just for me and jojo <laughs> just, project, just for us because at the end of the day, you've, you've created so many musical masterpieces, but that the highlight of your entire career is obviously the theme tune to the second season of The Native Immigrants. Um, yes. Which obviously, like, it's been a multi-platinum seller. Uh, and yep. pretty much what put you on the map, really, as, as an yeah. artist. Yeah, we made you. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you're, first of all, you're welcome. Uh, and secondly, can we expect can we expect a whole album's worth of material for the native immigrants? What are you going to do with the whole album's worth of material? 
I mean, what 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 won't we do with it? Basically, I mean, it's, he is a rapper. Uh, I, I'm a rapper, but the thing is, I'm, I feel like if I if I give like my musical kudos to Neeraj, it might belittle me slightly. So uh, what I'm saying, I'm still trying to show him his potential as an artist we by just giving talk him a platform. Over it. We should talk over it. Yeah, be a podcast album. Oh yeah, where we, we just can, talk over. Your we music. just talk over your music. Just like yeah, yeah, just converse, have a normal conversation. Like it's just background music. You're like you're, so, so you're, you're asking you're asking me to compose <laughs> wallpaper. Can you give us can you give us an album of Muzak? You know the stuff that you hear <laughs> in elevators and lifts. In an elevator, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what we'd love to hear. Dinner party music. You know the crazy thing is there's massive money in that shit. So basically, like, and to be honest, like New has created so many projects where like the actual money is in licensing and TV and film. So really, we're giving you uh, like we're giving you ideas here that you can implement for your next project. Yeah, and we want to cut. <laughs> we want to cut. <laughs> Jojo's. So you're, you're, what you're telling me is make make wallpaper music that you can <laughs> yeah. stroke, yeah, yeah, dash, kind of rap to. <laughs> um, and um, no, no, not me. Album get, okay, okay. So let's fit this then. MC Jojo B is is a rapper in the making. How would you know? <laughs> would you would you give her the courtesy of giving her like an album's worth of beats for her to spit on? Well, I'd have, I'd have to kind of um, understand what your aesthetic oh, is, Jojo B. Kind of what's your what's your vibe? What's your what, what are you about as a as a as a you rapper? Know, you're my friend. You should know what my vibe is. Unbelievable, <laughs> no, but that, that was, this is for your audience. Come on, I I obviously know, right? But I'm just saying you got to articulate it to the audience, and then we can, you know, we can we can explore these ideas on, on the podcast. You disappoint me. It's Mary a Shab. it's a kind of like a, a Geordie Punjabi. Fusion. <laughs> that, that, like, that most famous two <laughs> musical genres. Geordie <laughs> <laughs> kind of folk kind of. Uh, What's Geordie folk? I'd love to know. What, I've never come across Geordie folk. That's yeah, something that I like that. Send you some YouTube. We used to sing it in school. You guys, you, you guys, playing races and stuff like that. You guys should cover. You know, the fog on the time and call it like chug on the time. You mean so silly? <laughs> It's like near it <laughs> on the time, chug on the time, isn't it? And then you can you can be represented. Chug on the time is all mine, all mine. Chug on the time is all mine. Oh my god, that is that actually is that actually Geordie folk? No, have no, you never heard? Time's not. No, Fog in the time it's, is a, it's a classic. It's a classic song. Geordie song by. It's, it's a, a banger, classic artist. banger. There was an artist called Paul Gascoigne, who was a who was a big singer in the eighties. I, I do it remember. It was a song before he did it. <laughs> it was a song, was it? Yeah. I thought he was the first. Song. Okay, yeah, yeah, it was. yeah, that's some good stuff. Well, there you go. With, um, with opportunities all there for you, Neeraj Shug. It's up to you whether you decide to take them or not. It's all. I'm I saying. do. I do like a challenge. I mean, I understand, you know, Punjabi music, but. Geordie music, I have yet to familiarize myself with. I mean, there are some. Panjo- like- Panjobi. <laughs> Panjobi. Panjobi. There's, there's some prominent names, you know, like PJ and Duncan. Yes. Jimmy Nail. Sting. Jo- Jojo B. Sting. I, that's what I first thought, because he did, he did that, that, that musical, that shipping musical, right? Based in Newcastle or something. Yes, I think that was about Swan Hunter Shipyard. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that, that must be kind of, I um, guess, Geordie folk, right? I, I don't know if you'd call it folk, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, it's, it's not like... Yeah, it was quite folky. The songs I remember, the quite songs were quite folky. You guys have been to sound like some pagan ritualist place with like folk songs being sung about... No, we do. We used to sing them in primary school. Okay. I'll send you some... You've you got, you, you got to sing one for us. And send us some beats, is what we're saying. Yeah. You know? Okay. But seriously, though, like for your, <laughs> for your, for your, 
So imagine, okay, in a, in a, in a complete fantasy world, okay, for your next album, you could have a dream collaboration with any artist. We already spoke about this, me. Okay, so apart from Jojo with B. Northumbrian Pipes playing in the background. Apart from Jojo <laughs> B playing Northumbrian Pipes on some New Age productions, <laughs> if you can have a dream collaboration with any other artist living or no longer with us, who would that artist be? Okay. Other than Jojo B and you, because obviously that's one and two, right? Standard, so, yeah. standard. 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 Um, who would I want to work with? You know, I'd, I'd love to work with um, R.D. Berman. Wow. Okay. Or, or, or uh, Quincy Jones. Oh, okay. Wow. Two masters. Yeah. That's two masters of their own, like, like genre-identifying artists yeah. of their own, you know, of their respective countries. Yeah, I'd love to, um, yeah. Those are two people I'd love to, I'd love to work with. It's funny because when I, I did an artist residency in Shanghai uh, many years ago, and I almost met Quincy Jones, which I would have loved. Okay. He, he, he was doing the next artist, like he was doing, I mean, on a different scale, but he was doing like some, some talk or something uh, in this venue that I was doing an artist residency in, and I just missed him by a week. Uh, oh. I would have loved to have yeah, met him because he's a bit of a hero for me. What about, what about vocalists? What about singers, potentially? Singers, uh, what singers do I really like? Uh, maybe Tracy Chapman. Oh, wow, that is that would be an unbelievable collaboration, yeah, like literally yeah, unbelievable. Fantastic, yeah, it, that's, the that's the first name that came to mind. No, I'm glad, and I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's weird that like, Tracy Chapman doesn't get championed enough. No, she doesn't. She has the most amazing voice, but also as a songwriter as well. Yeah. Like, so, like, she's the iconic songs that Tracy Chapman's put out like over her career. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, an awesome collaboration. Wow, well, we've got, yeah, some, I, we've got contacts. We can, we let's can see, make it happen. Let's make it happen, bruv. Do you know what I mean? You know, give we, her a call, give her a call. She obviously, she's like, she's under, I only, I call her T, innit? So, like, <laughs> TC, yeah, TC. I'll holler at TC, see what she's saying. Um, she always has time for us. So, um, I'm sure we can endeavor to make this happen. If you could do that, that would be amazing. You could, if you could hook up Quincy and, and T, well, I'm sure you say you're in like Q and T. Q and T. Kind of basis. And Q, T, and RD. Oh, RD is probably not going to answer his phone calls. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seeing as he's uh, might be long, might be long distance, very long distance. <laughs> um, God bless, rest in peace, oh, to Adi Bowen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. If, uh, well, let me ask the same question back to you guys. What what would be your um, dream collaboration for Nearest Jug or or for us? Wow, that's a crazy. No, for you, for you, for you. What would be your own dream collaborations? Jojo B would probably be um, Chris Hemsworth always. What What can he do? What can talk he to me. <laughs> <laughs> just talk to me and just stand in front of me and let me look at him. That That'll do. Yeah. I thought you might say something like yeah, my, my or, or Millie Vanilli or something. You know, Millie. Wow! Did you hear that? Did you hear what he's saying? So I'm just good for for miming. Is that what you're saying? That's unbelievable. How That's rude! Unbelievable. You haven't heard me singing out there. <laughs> no, I, I said MC Hammer as well. He, he did his own vocals. <laughs> my, my, my dream collaboration uh, would probably still be Jennifer Lopez. Um, just because she's Seriously? Because she's an amazing singer. 
you know? That's why, because he likes her songs. Yeah. And plus, you know, are you, are you serious? Well, you, I, I, I actually can't, I, I, I don't know if you're being serious or not. I mean, um, come on. <laughs> I mean, do you know what? Of all the people in the world, you'd pick uh, Jennifer, would Jennifer you say, Lopez. You, would you ever say no to J-Lo? Um, <laughs> that says it all. No, but, but, you're, 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 but you're the one who's got the choice. Yeah, exactly. I'd, like to, I'd love to, like, no, okay, so I'm sitting next to my wife, so I can't really talk about what kind of collaborations I'd get up to with, with J-Lo. Um, I just told you Chris Hemsworth. Oh, exactly. All right, so we've got our own, part. We've got our own like, list of people. We've got, everyone has their list. You know the five people on their list that they're, you know, like you, you can just get a free pass with basically yeah. i wouldn't say no if j-lo came along and you and yeah it's weird like minds have always changed over the years but j-lo was mine from like 20 years old and like you know at 20 years on i still wouldn't say no basically you guys are so so weirdly progressive i like it we're very open you know very you open. Allowed, <laughs> i'm sorry but if, if chris hemsworth presented himself i'd be like you thought take her you can have her it's all <laughs> i i really need to google who Chris Hemsworth is because um, he, he sounds delicious. Oh my god, he really is. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm a heterosexual male, and I'd, I'd be slightly turned at Chris Hemsworth. So, um, you know, but dream collaborations. I don't know. It's crazy. I'd love to work with. I'd love to work with MJ. I love Michael Jackson. Or like, or yeah. for, for today's producers, you know, I'd love to work with DJ Premier. I think that that'd be if I'm going to get an album's worth of material. If it's not by Neeraj Jug, then I'd prefer yeah. by DJ Premier. Yeah, I, I was going to guess, I was going to say, let me guess. And the first name I thought of was, was um, Primo. Well, there you go. You know me too well, not near I know you too well. And I don't think we've, we've ever discussed that. So yeah. yeah, it's weird. We need to probably talk more about music next time we talk, because uh, we talk about literally everything else um, and then keep, keep our musical conversations to like, you know, a, a very minimal. But wh why, why, why Primo? What is it? Yeah, what, what is it about Primo I that... Think his music nobody else like because yeah he's he's like he's like real kind of culty and yeah people are mad about dj yes. premier right like it's yes. like he's a legend in that in that game um so it, it, what how would you articulate why he's a legend what is it about his beats i think it takes me back to a time period of which i was probably at my most like tranquil when it comes to hip-hop like when I was at my at the peak levels of my passions for the the whole subculture and the genre were probably based around his music and his beats specifically. And I think that I think as from a from a rapper's perspective, it's the way you can sit within the pocket of his productions, uh, almost mm. unlike like anyone else of that time and that era. Um, and I can still and the thing with Primo is I can still listen to a Primo production now and his his drums are still so authentic and they're still so, they still resonate so closely with me and that. Um, and to, still to this day, when you think about those productions from back then and how he's evolved and, and he's still primo. And, he's, and whereas everyone else has kind of diversified their productions, you know what you're getting from a premiere production. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just gully hip hop, which is, which talks my language. How, how do you, how do you think that kind of, that that era of hip hop compares to the the modern era of kind of very trap. I think um, 
it's a it's a very different time period and without basically sounding like the old man in the barbershop saying that oh it was so much great back then and look at all these young whippersnappers like kind of trying to see how it's done now you know because hip-hop is always evolving it's always going to diversify it did 20 years before the 90s it's going to do it 20 years afterwards and it's going to do 20 years after us um but i think sometimes you know you lose the soul of the music um when you hear like you know tracks that are churned out for specific radio purposes um, and for clubs, whereas there's very few music that touch the soul as much as they did back in that, that era. And I think that's what's, you know, something that's missing hugely, but that's not to say there's not some great productions and some great projects um, that are still here today. And so that's the kind of things that still touch me. And that's the reason why I keep making music because I want to ensure that music is still out there for people to listen to. What a great answer. <laughs> even if you do say so yourself even if I do say so myself <laughs> Mr. Nearest Jug it's been an absolute honour for you to join us here on the Native Immigrants why don't you let people know your social media handles and where people can find you um, neurachag.com is my website if, if you're into websites which I don't think anybody is anymore right I'm still um, into websites I'm, I'm still into websites. I, I go to websites, but apparently, apparently nobody does. Because <laughs> no, if I wanted to find Nearest Jug, where would I go right now? If I typed in Nearest Jug on Google, it would take me straight to the website, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would take the first, yeah, first thing would be the website. Um, I've still got swamibrackers.com. Yeah, it hasn't been updated for about five years. But it's still there, so people know I'm official. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, think, I think it's important to have a website. You know, I'm, I'm still... It's so sad that you, you know, I feel old school by being into websites because people don't have websites anymore, right? It's like all you have is your social media. Your link tree. In your link tree, that's it. It's all mm -hmm. about link trees. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, neurochag.com is where like, the most comprehensive resource yes. for all things me. Uh, then there's Instagram at neurochag, Twitter at neurochag, and everything else at neurochag. I'm not on TikTok. It's such a unique name that there's there's literally only one near its jug. In it's it. got good Google juice. I tell you that. Yeah, there's not yeah. there's not many. <laughs> My brother, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Native Immigrants. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome fun. As always, as always. Right. Well, that is it from this week's episode of the Native Immigrants. We'll be back in two weeks. With more of the same, I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm JJP. And we'll see you all then, people. Peace.